We're in the midst of our, our reframe series. This week, such an important week, such a foundational week. Because it's about our identity in Christ. It's about what we're calling our gospel identity. That what really matters about you, what gives you worth, what gives you value, what gives you glory, beauty, permanence, is received, not achieved. <clears throat> and Paul, in a sense, he writes not only his gospel identity in Galatians chapter 2, but one writer called it his gospel obituary. For through the law I died to the law. This is verse 19 of chapter 2. So that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by, the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So we have this this clash that is going on that Paul is writing about. And it is a group of people who come with seeming authority from the Apostle James and who have said it is not enough to have faith in Jesus. Yes, you have to have faith in Jesus, plus you have to be circumcised, plus you have to keep all of the law of Moses. And so what we're really talking about is where do you gain your identity, where does the source of your identity come from? Identity is your sense of self. But it's more than just knowing who you are. It's, it's, it's justifying your life. It's saying, this is what makes me, uh, value, gives me value. This is what matters about me. This is why you should care for me. This is why you should love me. The identity is huge. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think is coming through the grid of your identity. So an identity that is based on performance, such as performing the law, keeping religious rituals, uh, doing what is right. A performance-based identity is always subject to fear. Am I doing it well enough? And pride, am I doing it better than other people? So performance-based identity is always an access point for the enemy to accuse you, to tempt you, to deceive you. But the gospel identity, a received identity from Jesus, produces what you really want from your identity, and that is peace, security, because if you, by faith, receive this deeply rooted identity in Christ and this highly elevated identity in Christ, then the praise doesn't go to you or to your head. Rather, the praise goes to the one who gave it to you. Peter was given a gospel identity. He's the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. That's a received identity. It was not a performance-based one. It was received uh, by Peter, by faith, by the authority given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, you see, 
he makes this, this contrast between the received and the achieved identity in his own life. He said, if, if I still live to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is why it is so essential that you get deeply rooted in your gospel identity, is you cannot be a bondservant of Christ if you're living in order to receive your identity from others, or from the praise of others, or the approval of others. See, it was one or the other for Paul. Either he was a man-pleaser, a people-pleaser, or he was a bondservant of Christ. He could not direct his ministry towards pleasing people and at the same time direct it towards really the one who had commissioned him, the Lord Jesus Christ. If his first concern was to please Jesus and, 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 and not to please others, then he could effectively carry out his assignment as a bondservant of Jesus. The word servant there, it's found in, in chapter 1 of Galatians. This word servant is in some ways a, a weak translation of the Greek uh, that Paul used there. So the, the idea in, sometimes in Christian service, it was sort of this false concept, like it's essentially voluntary or it's part-time. And that's kind of... You could say that's come down with the idea of religious uh, idea of service. I do this in my spare time. I do this voluntarily. You see, the, the word that Paul uses is not a volunteer. And it's not part-time. So what Paul is saying is he's a bondservant of Christ. He, he, he glories in that title. And, and a bondservant of Christ is not free to offer his service whenever he wants, nor is he free to withhold his servant. A bondservant is someone who has realized that his life is not his own, but his life entirely belongs to the Lord. See, that's, this is when your identity gets so deeply rooted, is when you stop saying, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm not my own, that I belong to heart, mind, soul, body, talents, gifts, resources, everything to the Lord. That's what Paul had decided. I'm a bondservant of the Lord. And he did this on the basis that he was convinced that the source of the gospel was Jesus himself. And so the authority by which he lived his life was not the authority of a religious person, a philosopher. It was one who was in the service of, of the Lord Jesus Christ operating under divine authority and divine commission. Even when he talks about preaching the gospel to people or the gospel which was preached by Paul, it's Paul is is saying that when he preached he gospeled the gospel. So the idea is that even his words, even his his teaching, his words, were bound, as a bondservant, were bound to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that every word that was coming out of his mouth was framed by the gospel. That's, that is why, friends, we are in this Reframe series, is because we're not part-time people. 
We're not volunteers who jump in and who jump out, but we're people who have seen the glory and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and have seen the glory of his sacrifice for us. And we have received and exchanged our brokenness for his beauty. And that we cannot help but begin to frame our whole lives by what is most worthy, what is most beautiful to us, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul gospeled the gospel. Every word framed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the seating at the right hand, the coming again to judge the living and the dead. This is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now more than ever, in, in an uncertain world, we don't just need good advice. We don't just need the wisdom of men. We need to live under the authority of the revelation of God and frame our lives, even the way, or especially, I should say, the ways we think about ourselves. Now, Paul is not the first to do this. I wanted to remind you, in Jeremiah, when they were in an uncertain time, there was, there was the need, the scripture says, there was the need for them to examine their identity and the source of their identity. Listen to Jeremiah 9, verse 24. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In a traditional culture, and that's what Jeremiah was speaking to, in a traditional culture, you had an, an assigned identity. In other words, your family assigned you a role, and it was automatic. And if you're going to be a good family member, you were going to carry out the role that was assigned to you. But we no longer live in a traditional culture. We live in a fragmented culture where everybody is deciding what their identity is for themselves. So the identity formation is up to the individual. You must pursue and form your own identity. Now, both of these, whether it's a traditional form of getting your identity or this fragmented cultural form of getting your own identity, they have pluses, they have minuses, they're not necessarily terrible. But think about what Jeremiah was saying in connection to whether we are getting our identity from being bondservants of Christ or from the approval of others. Even our families cannot give us what Christ gives to us, nor can this culture give to us what Christ gives to us. But listen what it, what Jeremiah said, because these are the sources of identity that many of us rely upon. Let not the rich, that's our wealth, the wise, that's our, our, you know, our knowledge and our understanding of things, or the mighty, that's our physical strength or beauty. It says, not, let not the rich or the mighty boast. So here you have in the Hebrew the word, let them not have their hallelujah. In other words, the hallelujah, what you give your hallelujah to is what you are placing your confidence in. So if I give my hallelujah to the, my riches, then my confidence for my identity comes from my riches. Wisdom from my wisdom, from my might from my strength, or my physical beauty or physical strength. So 
do not draw, God said to his people, the hallelujah from your wisdom, your riches, or your might. But you see, the, the reason he says this is because there's an internal drive within us, a longing for the hallelujah, a longing for others to praise us, a longing for others to approve, appreciate, to affirm us. Um, I told the story on Sunday of a young man who came to the altar at Risen King and, and with tears in his eyes says, I just want unconditional approval. Now, he could have just been mis misstating his request. He could have been saying, I want unconditional acceptance and just not known the difference between the two. But I think it was one of those slips that actually revealed what he actually wanted. And that was for people to praise him for everything, for people to praise him for anything. And, and, in a way, he's probably telling the truth, whether you know he was a little embarrassed for saying it wrong, but he's probably telling the truth. I want people to praise me no matter what. I want people to give me the hallelujah. Now, I mean, if you think about it with me, that longing leaves you vulnerable to the lies of this world, leaves you vulnerable to the access of the enemy. Because what you're looking for is legitimate, worth, love, security. But when you build your identity on the hallelujah of others or of anything of this world, then you do not have a permanent sense of self. You have a temporary and very unstable source of self. Applause, acclaim, even accolades. These are... These are in some ways legitimate emotional needs, but if you begin to live for those, for the hallelujah of others, or the hallelujah of your own heart, you'll find that it's just a, a need that can never be satisfied. So all of us have this, this connection within us that our identity forms around what brings us the hallelujah. Now, I, I've always liked that thought because what we say in church is we don't just say hallelujah, we say hallelujah, which means we boast in the Lord, Yahweh. We boast in Yahweh, Yah, hallelujah. In other words, I, I draw even the boast of my life. I draw the source of glory and worth and value, not from me or my praise or man's praise, but I draw it from him, and I draw it from the Lord. So what is, uh, why is this so important? Well, because Jeremiah, like, like Paul, says death and destruction are the end for those who draw their hallelujah from others, from themselves, from their riches, from their wisdom, or anything else. Because you, you're never rich enough. You're never wise enough. And no one can ever be mighty enough. A philosopher, a theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote, he said, Sin is the despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and service to God. Sin is seeking to become oneself, to get an identity apart from Him. Tim Keller says it this way, Everyone gets their identity, their sense of being distinct and valuable, from somewhere or something. You're going to draw your hallelujah from somewhere. 
Kierkegaard asserts that human beings were made not only to believe in God in some general way, but to love him supremely, center their lives on him above anything else, and build their very identity on him. Anything other than this is sin. So sin is not just the doing of bad things, but the making of good things into ultimate things. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. See, the issue in, in the letter to the Galatians, it isn't just that Peter has gotten the gospel a little bit wrong. It's that Peter has now left the centrality of his significance and his purpose and his happiness being his relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he has added to now that relationship. He's added to it that he has to perform. And now he's making others perform in the same way. So instead of it just being a disagreement, it's actually sin. And Paul has to confront Peter on his sin. And what 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 you really, if you if you will look at this, you'll realize that all of your behaviors that are shameful to you, all your behaviors that are that are out of alignment with the will of God, they all start in your identity. They all start in the way that you look at yourself. They all start in the way that you look at God and you look at your relationship with God. If you are unmoored in a sense, if you're unanchored in that relationship and people come along and they criticize you and they can destroy you because of their criticism, then your gospel identity has not taken deep hold of you yet. Or if someone can come along and praise you and you begin to think, man, I, I am the greatest. I am better than anyone else. I, I've arrived or whatever it might be, then your gospel identity is not what elevates you. It's the praise and the approval. It's the hallelujah of others. I mean, the question, you know, of your identity is this, where are you drawing your hallelujah? Is it, is it performance? Is it riches? Is it strength? Is it wisdom? Or are you drawing your hallelujah from hallelujah? You're drawing it from the Lord himself. Because this is so foundational to the strength and, and to the power that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, many things you and I will do because we are Christians. But the truth of, of Galatians is there's only one thing you do to become a Christian. And here in Romans 4, 5, it says it this way. To the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, to that person faith is credited as righteousness. Lies are very powerful. It is possible for Christians to believe the gospel in their hearts, even confess it in their mouths, and yet live in a way that denies it with their lives. See, if you've been justified by Jesus, then performance, even performance of the law of Moses, doesn't have the power to condemn you any longer. 
having died to the law. Notice when Paul says, I died to the law, he didn't say the law died. He said, I died to the law. Here's what Philip Ryken says, having written his own obituary, Paul proceeds to explain the circumstances of his own demise. I have been crucified with Christ. See, this is, this is why you're not simply a volunteer and you're not a part-time servant. Crucifixion is radical. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's all the way or nothing. Can't be a little crucified. I am crucified with Christ. See, what happens in this verse that is so essential Martin Luther says it this way, By faith you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person, which cannot be separated, but remain attached to him forever. We are in union with Christ through faith. Everything then that Christ has done is something that we have done by faith. We have participated in his death, his perfectly obedient life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, his ascension, his seating at the right hand. We are in union with him and all of those things. His sinless life has become yours. His painful death has become yours. The law cannot demand that we obey it because we are dead to it and raised to newness of life. The Father sees you justified because when he looks at you, he sees his son. God bless you.